0: This is Live Wired in Calgary. Hello, Calgary. Welcome to the May edition of Live Wired in Calgary on CJSW 90.9 FM. I am your host, Darren Krause, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. This monthly spoken word show is done in partnership with the amazing team here at CJSW, and it's recorded at the University of Calgary in studio on traditional Treaty 7 land. There's a lot going on in Calgary right now, even with COVID-19 going on still. Definitely lots on the news front. We're going to look at conversion therapy and the discussion happening today at City Council The Calgary Board of Education got a less-than-stellar report back after a provincial review. Of course, there's this coronavirus thing still hanging around, and Calgary's set to catch up with the rest of the province. We're going to hear about that relaunch from Premier Jason Kenney, and we'll also add in some thoughts from Dr. Dina Hinshaw and what she has to say on that. We're going to try to pack it all in this month, so hand sanitizer is on, and off we go. Check out LiveWire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at LiveWire Calgary, on Instagram at LiveWire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook.
1: Unfortunately, decisions made by this board in the weeks following the budget led me to believe they were not putting students first. The board's decisions following budget 2019 were another example in the CBE's history of questionable, irresponsible decision-making when it comes to financial decisions and governance. For example, in the 2010-2011 school year, the board locked themselves into an expensive 20-year lease in which they are paying more in rent than it would cost them to purchase the building. In 2018, A provincial audit of the board found that it made a $9.1 million accounting error, allocating office space costs as instructional costs. And in 2019, the board's leadership made the decision to end the contract of 300 temporary teachers only to reverse the decision shortly afterwards. The board's short-sighted decisions following budget 2019 resulted in me ordering this review.
0: That was Alberta Education Minister Adriana LaGrange at a press conference on Thursday revealing the results of the report. Now, that report done by Grant Thornton, LLP, highlighted nine key areas ranging from the board's oversight of the chief superintendent, budget reserves, audit experience, board trust, the CBE lease... Then salary surveys of exempt staff. The report did say that the CBE's maintenance and custodial areas were in good shape, and generally speaking, the procurement practice were up to snuff. It is important to note the following, though. The CBE Education Center, that's their 12th Ave, 8th Street, Southwest headquarters, that was already identified as a problem in a report done by previous NDP Education Minister David Egan. And it's not really a new problem. It's been an issue virtually since they entered into the awful lease agreement back in 2011. Also important to note, that agreement was approved by the former PC government. The idea of trust and transparency with the Board of Trustees is nothing new either. I have personal experience with this one. In my old Metro days, we regularly locked horns with the Board and Chief Superintendent Naomi Johnson over this very thing. There was a running joke that you could predict the vote on most matters and it would be split down a certain line. We had the inside track on a lot of the ongoing political nature of the CBE and the shortcomings that were on the board. Trust me, there was a lot of them and it was very, very evident at almost every board meeting. But the problems go even further back than that. Calgary politician, now talk radio host Danielle Smith, was a part of a board of trustees that was dismissed by the Minister of Learning, Lyle Oberg, back in the late 1990s. That was due to the board being deemed dysfunctional. If you fast forward to earlier this year, former trustee Lisa Davis resigned from the board because of concerns over secrecy in meetings and a lack of transparency in decision-making stemming from an in-camera meeting. So, It's not as though this report actually brought anything really new to light. If you look at some of the other things, the oversight of the chief superintendent, okay, you know, we always want there to be board oversight of the leading administrative official. Uh, The audit experience, uh, the CBE did respond, and we'll get to that in a moment, um, in regards to what experience they do have uh, in terms of auditing. The salary surveys on exempt staff, the salaries of exempt staff come up almost every single year. Those are the non-unionized employees, and they represent roughly one and a half to two percent of all CBE staff. So we're not talking about a a massive number of people. And the CBE, again, in their response, does say that they get to uh, annually look at those to make sure that they are market appropriate. So when we get to the Calgary Board of Education's response, um, they actually pick it back order by order um, in the ministerial order that was released by Minister LaGrange. Uh, they talk about deploying 70 teachers back into schools. They talk about making changes to transportation. They go through this whole list of things. How does the CBE, CBE prioritize students in its budget? How has the CBE considered other options with regard to the education center? What about the salary costs? What about the 22% of employees with teaching certificates not in the classroom? It goes through point by point and almost deconstructs the report provided by Grant Thornton. Now, Again, having the experience of working uh, with the CBE throughout my career, um, a lot of this is the same old, same old, whether it's the government report versus the CBE, both sides always have an argument, argument and excuse or defense, argument, defense, argument, defense. There just isn't a whole lot new in this report that we didn't know already, barring some updated numbers, you know, in terms of budget or the operating reserve. So I don't know that this is actually going to bring about any substantial change. Now, the concern here, of course, is that if the elements of the ministerial order are not satisfied to, you know, the extent that the province wants them done, the board could be removed at the end of November. It'll be interesting to see in the coming months how that's handled because the CBE clearly believes that they've been taking major strides towards coming up with solutions. But the province wouldn't have initiated the the report for no reason. Or would they have? Is it a political issue in an ongoing battle between the government and the Calgary Board of Education? We will find out in the coming weeks. I feel like there's a theme to the first three topics of this month's show. Division, polarization, no matter how you characterize it, these days there just seems to be no middle ground on matters of public policy. This issue, though, is one with a clearer moral divide than others. The bullying, coercion, manipulation, or even physical attempts to alter one's sexual orientation, also known as conversion therapy, is wrong. You might not call it that because it uh, comes under the guise of counseling or conversation, but the problem is it rarely comes as support. Now, I don't want to frame this as a religious issue because I know there are many accepting faiths and faith leaders, but it does seem to fall along those lines. It's unfortunate for those factions that use accepting, I'm not sure you can see the air quotes, as an adjective to describe their faith. Last week, the city's Community and Protective Services Committee voted unanimously on a bylaw that would ban the practice of conversion therapy in the city. The opposition came from some who thought the bylaw was too overreaching and wasn't the jurisdiction of the city. The city deftly maneuvered around any charter issues in that regard by having the bylaw govern allowable businesses in the city, which is in their mandate. Now I'm going to play you a couple of clips from the CPS committee meeting, which saw two days of public submissions on top of more than 600 pages. It's obvious we can't get to all of it, but let's start with Dr. Chris Wells, one of Alberta's de facto experts on the issue of sexual identity. Um, It's
2: no problem to pause for me, Um, thanks for the time. So uh, I just wanted to highlight a little bit about uh, the the research, um, and particularly the Canadian based research on conversion therapy. So we know from the research literature, the peer-reviewed literature, the scientific literature that uh, conversion therapy is deemed an unscientific, deceptive and fraudulent practice that uh, frequently preys upon the vulnerable. Uh, Canadian research out of uh, British Columbia indicates that over 47,000 sexual minority men have experienced conversion therapy. Um, This was uh, from uh, what's called the Sex Now survey where uh eight percent of the respondents um uh, reported conversion therapy uh efforts we know that this is most likely an underestimate and that the real toll of conversion therapy is significantly larger than those numbers might indicate conversion therapy is also uh, known to target trans and gender non-conforming individuals by discouraging or impairing uh, gender affirmative care or treatment you'll often hear this called uh, gender ideology as though transgender people do not exist. Um, In 2019, a Canadian opinion poll was um, released and it showed that the majority of Canadians, three out of five, oppose conversion therapy. Less than 25% believe you can make someone quote-unquote straight. Um, Support uh, against conversion therapy was highest amongst women at 62% and those uh, ages 18 to 31 at 64%.
0: Well's presentation kind of framed the, the start of the public submissions. We're now going to hear clips from two people before we get to one from a city councillor who made an emotional plea late last week.
3: Section 7 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms protects individuals' with liberty to make such fundamental choices free from government interference. And our courts have established that an arbitrary, overbroad or grossly disproportionate law is by definition a violation of principles of fundamental justice and therefore unconstitutional. And uh, speaking to a comment by the city lawyer earlier today, I would add that the oak chest of the Supreme Court of Canada requires laws to be proportionate. And as I'm looking at this bylaw, it, there is no proportionate balance uh, being added to these very broad and expansive restrictions. Um, a, by- a bylaw that is far from targeting actual harm, it's restricting individuals' voluntary choices, is overbroad and disproportionate to addressing a harm that's being identified. And in fact, we're still looking for that. And so the proposed bylaw imposes arbitrary restrictions on Calgarians' liberty. So, for example, under the bylaw, a gay man is prohibited from receiving support to reduce sexual behavior while the straight man is allowed to receive that support. And that's discriminatory, quite frankly, against LGBTQ Canadians' human rights, permitting opposite-sex attracted persons to receive counseling, for example, to address a sexual addiction, while prohibiting service providers from offering such counseling support to same-sex attracted persons is blatant
4: discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation.
0: Here's the next clip.
4: Affirming coordinator at Hillhurst United Church. I run the LGBTQ2SIA plus affirming ministry in this city's largest inclusive faith congregation. In my work, I support survivors of conversion therapy on an ongoing basis. I meet with individuals providing pastoral care and resources, and I facilitate a support group for queer, trans, and two-spirit people of faith who are often struggling to reconcile their identities with the ideological systems in which they were raised. Many ask if conversion therapy is still happening in Calgary, and I am here to tell you that yes, so much so, I have had to recently create a second ongoing support group for young survivors. People are being harmed now, and we cannot wait for federal protections. I am here to speak on behalf of survivors who cannot speak, many who are not in a place to confront their abusers, who you will likely be hearing from today. For many survivors, the story looks like being not so lovingly coerced by family, community mentors, ministers, and people in positions of power into believing they cannot be fully loved or accepted by their communities unless they change or repress who they are. The unspoken subtext is always not only will they not be accepted by God, but if they don't conform to their assigned gender, if they don't deny their sexual orientation, they will not only be ostracized, but doomed to an eternity of torture and damnation. This kind of psychological pressure to reject one's innate loving impulse to deny living one's truth has a profoundly damaging impact on the psyche of people.
0: (laughs) Next up, we have Counselor Jeremy Farkas, who at last week's town hall meeting, he spoke very passionately about the topic of conversion therapy.
5: So I wanted to mention something on a personal level. Uh, I attended six schools before the age of 16. At a young age, I came out and confided to my best friend. That person became my chief tormentor. When a person in authority, someone whom I trusted and admired, suggested that I could more or less pray the me away, I felt humiliated. I would even say more than 20 years later, and serving in a public role like I am, where every step and misstep is broadcast on television, I still have never felt as humiliated as I did that day. A close second comes the time when I was thinking of running for council. I approached a person whom I respected about my intentions. They thought that my orientation was not only the reason that I wouldn't be able to be elected, but the reason that I wouldn't be any good at it if I were to win. Even now as a member of council, I witness that there's much more to be done on, on this on this issue and others in terms of making Calgary a welcoming city for everybody. There may be some who question jurisdiction or what the appropriate role of the city is in all of this, and I share those concerns. Today I am so fortunate, just so fortunate to be in a position where I am loved, I am accepted, and I'm able to contribute in a meaningful way. My friends and my family want nothing more from me than for me to do my best. And I'm so happy every day I can go to council and I can do that. I know that many of you are looking for me to take a clear position on this issue. I will be voting yes to the ban on conversion therapy. Uh, There will be some who say that this is just virtue signaling, but I, for one, think it's worth sending a signal about the kind of city we are and we want to be. I want you to hear me clearly. You can be anyone. You can do anything. You can go anywhere. But most of all, you are welcome here. We are welcome here.
0: That matter received unanimous approval in committee, and there's no reason to believe that today it will not also receive unanimous consent. Check out LiveWire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at LiveWireCalgary, on Instagram at LiveWire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook.
6: The good news is that we continue to see a downward trend across the province in active cases. While it is too early to see the full impact of the relaunch, so far, our case numbers have held steady. A large part of this is thanks to you and the sacrifices that you have made and continue to make. I know many of the public health measures we've put in place have meant hardship for many. We did not make these decisions lightly. These decisions were made to save lives, and thanks to you, we are saving lives. I know that many Albertans, especially those in Calgary and Brooks, continue to be concerned about the more gradual reopening compared to the rest of the province. I understand residents and businesses are eager to see more businesses resume operations and that the weight is taking a toll. I want to thank those in Calgary and across the province for doing their work to protect others by following public health measures and that is a large part of why these numbers have continued to decline. Protecting Albertans health and well-being is at the forefront of every difficult decision that is made. We do not want to jeopardize all that Albertans have risked and sacrificed by reopening prematurely. There are many businesses already open across the province, including in Calgary and Brooks. Reopening gradually allows us to monitor any increase in spread from open retail, daycares, and other activities in Calgary and Brooks, where the baseline rate was higher last week. This sequencing is based on a thorough public health risk analysis that considers both the risks to the public of spread of COVID and the economic impact. At this point, we are not seeing a concerning increase in numbers in Calgary or Brooks, and overall our cases are stable.
0: That was, of course, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health. That was in the Thursday coronavirus briefing to end last week. You can sort of read the tea leaves there that things were looking up for the cities of Calgary and Brooks. If you recall, both cities had some of their relaunch put on hold due to stubbornly high coronavirus cases, many connected to the outbreaks at area meatpacking plants. On Friday, however, this all changed.
7: Just over a week ago, I was joined by our Chief Medical Officer for Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, to announce the first stage of Alberta's plan to relaunch our economy. For many Albertans, uh, this was a light at the end of the tunnel that we've been going through since mid-March when uh, Alberta first began to bring in public health measures to protect lives from the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. But because of concerns by our public health officials over growing community spread in Calgary and Brooks in particular, which had 85% of active COVID cases, the decision, the difficult decision, was made uh, to delay some aspects of reopening to give our public health experts more time to monitor trends in those two communities. And I want to say thank you to folks in Calgary and Brooks for having continued to show great responsibility uh, and a care for others through their conduct over the past couple of weeks, uh, which has where we so we've been able to see continued positive progress in the fight against COVID-19 in Calgary and Brooks as well as the rest of the province. Calgary now has uh, seen almost 4000 COVID uh, affected patients recovered and only there are only 45 COVID-19 patients in hospital of which 5 remain in intensive care. Too many Albertans are familiar with the heartbreaking impact that COVID-19 has had on our continuing care facilities, which have seen nearly uh, 75% of the lives lost to the pandemic in Alberta. But we are turning a corner in those facilities as well, with an overwhelming majority of cases in uh, continuing care now having recovered. We were all concerned as well about the serious outbreaks at uh, the large meatpacking plants, uh, including JBS in Brooks. I'm pleased to report that over 99% of uh, the employees who had been infected at those plants have since recovered and the vast majority have voluntarily returned back to work. Thanks to the vigilance of Albertans, we're winning the fight against COVID-19. We have the lowest level of hospitalizations, the lowest level of ICU admissions, and the lowest level of deaths per capita amongst the large Canadian provinces, and we are far, far below the level experienced throughout most of the developed world. And we continue to lead the world on testing. And so I am therefore pleased to announce that on the advice of Alberta's chief medical officer for help, Health, we are proceeding with the next phases of reopening businesses and services in the communities of Calgary and Brooks. Uh, this means that on Monday, May 25th, hairstyling and barbershops will be permitted to reopen in Calgary and Brooks. Cafes, restaurants, and pubs and bars can also reopen for table service at 50% capacity this upcoming Monday. And on June 1st, day camps, including summer school, will be permitted with limits on occupancy in those communities. Post-secondary institutions, uh, including summer school, will be permitted with limits on occupancy, sorry, will be permitted, I should say, within the the limits for in-person classes that have been outlined by um, public health. And places of worship and funeral services uh, will also be expanded if they follow the specific guidelines that have been outlined and have been um, uh, already the case in the rest of the province. While this is positive news for many, it doesn't mean that we're out of the woods yet. COVID-19 still poses a very real risk and we must all continue to act responsibly and look out for one another. The key is in that final statement from Premier Jason Kenney
0: and it's been reiterated by Dr. Hinshaw. We're not out of the woods yet. COVID-19 is still here. One of the most common things I hear is that some people have interpreted this relaxation as open season, and they've tossed the public health measures aside. We've already seen evidence of a second wave in some countries, or in countries where their relaunch went awry. That's not what we want to see here in Alberta. That means weeks, or months more, cooped up in our homes, struggling to find outlets to manage the isolation, not to mention the economic impact this is going to have. But people are also saying that they're confused about what they're able to do, where they're able to go, and what the public health measures are. I'm sorry, I just don't believe that there's been that much confusion. Don't go out if you don't have to. Yes, still. If you do go out, as businesses begin to reopen and you want to enjoy a dinner, or you want to go out to, to have a beer, or maybe you have to head back into the office, you need to do the following. Maintain two meters distance. No groups indoors of more than fifteen. For outdoors it's fifty five zero. Wash your hands frequently. Avoid high touch surfaces. If you touch them, wash hands or use a hand sanitizer. If you can't be in a space to maintain distance, wear a mask. It all comes down to decision making. Granted, there may have been some confusion originally around what businesses had to do and and whether or not they were allowed to open and, and with the whole delay and everything. But even there, the province had said, you know what, that date isn't firm. I I think that the guidelines have been there. A lot of times people are just relying on word of mouth and, and asking friends and family what the rules are instead of actually going to the source. The government has had this information available on their website every day. So in the end, it all comes down to decision making. To this point, the different levels of government have mandated the closures and the public health rules. Now, they're letting you have a little bit more freedom to go to different places, but it's still up to you to follow the rules. If we don't do that, Phase 2, which is slated for June 19th, could be pushed further down the road. I've got a couple of minutes left this month, so I wanted to put something on your radar. The Green Line is scheduled to have the final option come forward this month, and there are two major factions being formed here. One that wants to move ahead with the admin recommendations that are built on public engagement over the past five years, and the other that wants a dramatic changes to the $4.5 billion project to reduce cost amid a terrible economy and fiscal constraint at City Hall. I spoke with Romy Garrido, a volunteer with the group Project Calgary. This is a quick clip that sums up the major issues they have with the other side's plans. So, what do you see as the biggest sticking point here in the whole debate? Is it really about alignment? Is it really about surface versus underground or low floor versus the current platform style? Like, what is the major issue here?
8: So, from, from what we can tell, um, you know, there's there's some interesting language going around about wanting to put a pause or wanting to stall the green line. But we all know from all the work, again, that we've put in, we're talking years of public engagement sessions, right, that if we if we stall or if we pause this anymore, uh, you know, it's effectively killing the green line. We, we know this for certain, that... Um, There is no way that if we go back to the drawing board that this is going to get done. It's certainly not on time, and and we're afraid that ever. Um, So so the sticking points are that, you know, there's a lot of focus on cost and on cost uh, cutting and cutting corners, rather, uh, with suggesting some pretty outdated, you know, so-called solutions to making the whole project um, a lot cheaper. But you know, it's a call to go back to the drawing board. There's no way that we'd be able to just take some of these ludicrous suggestions and and go forward on the same time and in the same budget. Um, So, so yeah, the the problem here is that a, a stall is effectively a kill.
0: A stall is effectively a kill, Garrido said. Well, I'm not sure that I would go that far, but this has been ongoing and it has been back and forth for a long time. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to line up an interview with an, with the other side early enough to make the show, but I will have that for you at livewirecalgary.com this week. If not, it should be out today. But if you've got a stake in this, I encourage you to seek out more good reliable information from both sides, and then if you want, make a submission to the city. It's a big project and it should be put through the ringer. That's a wrap this month, folks. We packed it with a lot of content. I hope you enjoyed. Thanks to Romy Garrido for talking with me about Greenline, and thanks to you, the listener, for your ongoing support. We'll talk with you next month.